I'm Scott Dixon, and this is The Skinny. From Fathead Studios in Speedway, Indiana, this is The Skinny. Welcome once again to The Skinny. We've got a big show coming your way. Stout and Rico, as usual, here. But inside the studio, we've got a fat cat, ladies and gentlemen. How about a five-time IndyCar champ? The 08 Indianapolis 500 winner. A four-time winner of the 24 Hours of Daytona. Has won at least one race in the last 15 years consecutively in IndyCar. Starting his 20th IndyCar season and his 19th season with Ganassi. Ladies and gentlemen, the Iceman cometh. Scott Dixon in the house, man. Up, man? Thanks for How making some doing? time. No, thank you. Thanks we for having me. We appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's good to be here. Good to right be here. Right alongside is a guy that has been with him for, we were talking about it this morning, we think maybe 12 years. Going 12 seasons, yeah. That is Robbie Fast. Robbie Fast is his spotter and, of course, also drives the transport and takes care of coaches and you pretty much crisscross the country all year long. And then other spotting jobs at the 24 and 12-hour and NASCAR. Yeah, cover oh, it. Always on the roof. Yep, if it's rolling, I'll spot it. I've had the pleasure <laughs> of standing next to that guy for uh, for a number of hours, and he's, he's certainly been a big help to me. And, uh, Scott, I've got to think. I, I only raced a little bit. I raced in short course off-road, and I remember my spotter just being the absolute lifeline. When I climbed back out of the truck, it was... He was my best friend in the world, and just that comfort of having that same voice has to be huge. Yeah, it is big, you know, and, and I think uh, especially to the extent of IndyCar racing and, and oval racing, but even <clears throat> now, I, you know, I did a couple of different races at the start of the year in the Bathurst 12-hour, uh, which was weird because you had nobody kind of guiding you in, in situations, pit exits, pit entries, um, you know, where you have a lot of the time. So you don't, I, you kind of just get used to it, and you don't really understand how much of a help it is until it's not there. So, you know, it, uh, it was definitely, you know, uh, that, that, that was very paramount, uh, earlier in the year this year. Um, but you know, it's just one of those things that you become so accustomed to it. Um, it takes moments like the start of the year that, that you, you really notice the, the big difference, but, um, yeah, the spotters are, are fantastic starter races, you know, through, uh, the pit stop sequence, uh, to even seeing, you know, on ovals, you know, who's utilizing what lanes and, and, you know, what other guys are maybe doing to pick up time. You know, it's, it's, it's a huge amount of information, uh, that, you know, the drivers need. And I would think much like your, your crew chief, if you will, driver engineer, the guy that you converse with the most about changes you want to make to the car you just learn your own dialogue everybody has their own special way of communicating when you say something it might mean a little something different than another driver so you two get in sync but to have the same guy for 12 years and i mean robbie was thinking maybe the longest duo longest standing current duo um in the series right now I, i'm guessing that the only other possibility would probably be rick mears and, and elio um but then now the elio is just doing single events but you know pretty much almost every race that scott's been in uh, since I've started here in 09, you know, it was my first kickoff season at that uh, month of May for Indy. Um, been spotting for, you know, for Scott ever since. And then funny thing is when he does the 24, even with, you know, through the Ganassi years, uh, I've never spotted the 24 for him. I don't think I was always on another yeah, car. You're always so, on the other car. Yeah, yeah. Cheat, so. Cheating on me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Working against he, you, man. What's up with that? I know. Especially when the other car wins. Yeah. You know, really well, sucks. you don't know. You don't know how he was spotting. Maybe yeah. he was helping yeah. you. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. Good maybe. point. But uh, no, he did fine, obviously, this year, too, because I was working on the third place car with uh, Sebastian Bourdais and those guys in the uh, JDC car. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. but no, I, in that and just doing all the different NASCAR stuff, it helps me out keeping and starting off, like you said, at the 24. Uh, you know, when you're doing at least half the race, sharing it with another guy, it's uh, it kind of gets your feet going and gets yourself back in the rhythm and stuff. And then, um, 
you know, tests. We do tests at IndyCar for Ganassi, you know, with Scott. So that we just do everywhere we go, I'll find a place, you know, and sometimes it might be his where he wants to put me too, you know, rather than just picking my own, you know, best place I can see stuff. So, um, like you said, for starts and restarts, and that's basically, you know, where, but the test Monday, you know, we needed help in traffic and just gapping yeah. ourselves. And that yeah, was, like when you're doing the test at Sebring Short Course, you know, and there's 14 or 16 <laughs> Indy cars, like the, it could, it's very easy to step on top of each other in a, you know, less than 52 second lap, you know. So it's um, it's all those scenarios where you're trying to get out of the way of, you know, you know, traffic and, and people that maybe are on a hot lap. You know, the the data has changed so much too these days. You know, you, you're on the steering wheel at least to have a gap chart on who's behind you and who's coming fast, which helps, you know, especially on race weekends. But you still can't believe, you can't, you know, change or exchange that for, for someone actually visually seeing it and telling you right away because then you have a better, a totally better understanding of it. And my understanding, I mean, talking to the drivers, you know, before the 500 when I've spotted for them and talking with Davey Hamilton, the the vision when you're inside of those cars is really limited. Yeah, it can be. You know, I think especially Indy, it's it's a lot of people don't realize how narrow that track is, you know, especially on the front stretch, you know, with the wall right there, you know, the back straight doesn't, you know, tend to feel as tight just because you've got the grass and, and, and you know, it feels a little bit wider. But uh, Indy, you know, especially when she's stuck in three, four wide, man, it gets really, it gets really <laughs> stressful, you know, getting to figure who's going to lift first or who's going to bail out of it or if who's going to try and challenge you to the corner. And it could be all three cars, you know, or four. So, um, India is, is definitely very unique because you have the switchover of the two, you know, uh, spotters as well. You have one and one and one and three as well. So it, it uh, you know, they have to work very well together. So it's definitely a, a common ground of knowing what everybody wants to hear and, and having that sync, especially at bigger tracks like Indianapolis. The Indy 500, such a special place, of course, for you. You've seen the highest of highs and the, and the lowest of lows there. You know, winning it in 2008, you lost a teammate there early on in your career. And then, of course, um, that massive wreck that you had uh, just a couple of years ago. And I was actually standing beside Robbie when, when that happened. Uh, boy, that place has really delivered some crazy stuff to you along, the, along your way. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's Indianapolis. You know, I think that's what it is summed up, you know, is is the highs and lows, you know, are just uh, can be pretty brutal that place. But, you know, I think that's what is so fun about it is the challenges, you know, and, and one day, you know, even in testing, you can be, it can be feeling easy and then the next day it can just bite you in the ass, you know, and, and uh, I think it, it, it requires 100% respect every day, every minute of the day testing at that place, you know, the, the, the fine changes because you're running, you know, so far on the limit that, you know, the ambient conditions or a shift in the wind, you know, can, it can just, uh, it can take it away from you quickly. So it's, um, that's what I love about India. It's just, it's just that challenge, you know, it's, it's trying to figure it out. And, and, uh, some years, you know, you, you just know when you roll off in the first couple of days of testing that it's going to be a much easier year than, than some of the others. Um, I think in, in recent years, you know, the manufacturers, play pretty heavily in the shift of power that's delivered on on certain days and then you know once you get to fast friday or qualifying you really really understand where you where you've been sitting and you know unfortunately for us you know the last few years we we just haven't really been in the race you know it's uh, i think we you know we we got involved in one of the crashes last year kind of running in the top eight but you know, the previous year we finished third, but it was more strategy that kind of got us there. You know, gone are the days where, you know, we had a, a really good string of, you know, runner-up positions, you know, the occasional win that uh, that I had at least in 08 and Dario had a string of them, um, you know, through that period. So uh, it's been a huge focus for our team, especially in, in, in the off-season of, of trying to understand where we've been getting it wrong and, and trying to reassess, you know, some situations. But, uh, you know, hopefully Honda have uh, stepped it up as well. I know that's been their sole focus in the off-season has just been Indianapolis and hopefully that plays true.
Yeah, talk talk about that that race in its entirety for a moment. It seems to me, and I don't I don't recognize other I don't see it in other races as prominently as I do in the five hundred. But the progression of that race starts off. It seems as though, like you say, everybody kind of being respectful. You can things can go wrong really quickly there early on. But it seems as though everybody bides their time to the first half of the race. The second half of the race. Things start picking up, and I mean, and it's noticeably how things start picking up. And then the restarts with a quarter of the race left to go, man, it is gloves off, four wide, people driving in the grass, and it it always is mind-boggling to me. It's like, are they just that comfortable with the car now after being in it for that amount of time, or is it the urgency of trying to get in the front at the end of the race, a little bit of everything? I mean, you can just see how much more aggressive they are at the end of that race. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think it, Indy's definitely become a track position race. You know, gone are the days where it didn't really matter too much where you started. Um, you know, you had plenty of winners from, you know, back in, you know, 15th and back. Um, it, it is a little more difficult unless you, you have a dominant car, which you saw this year, you know, or, or last year, I think, you know, Pajano really had a dominant car it was just one of those things that you know even if he got into the middle of the pack he was going to fight his way through so you know those years are, are ones that you you definitely cherish and try to make the most of it um i think the race has changed a little bit i think a lot of the new driver car combinations that we've had probably in the last couple of years i think the urgency has become a lot earlier in the race you know you, you've seen a lot more desperation i think earlier on uh, some of that is derived from, you know, the the style of racing that we've had to where it is kind of trickier to pass. You know, a lot of those passes need to be made in the first sort of five laps when the tires are really good and you can, you know, really stretch it on the high line or, or, or try and, you know, make these, uh, you know, brave dives. So it, um, I think it does have a really, uh, in each year changes, you know, just how the pace kind of picks up and slows down. You know, I think the first five to ten laps of a stint, it's pretty chaotic throughout. And then everybody gets into a fuel save mode or trying to reposition themselves uh, and kind of, you know, you have, have a little bit of a lull. But, uh, yeah, it's full of emotions, you know, I think throughout that day. And that's that's one of the hardest things, I think, to, to overcome is, is, you know, those highs and lows that, that even, you know, you we, we were talking about it from year to year in the race, man. It's it's crazy just, you know, those peaks and valleys that you have, uh, you know, over a three-hour period. Yeah, the, the last couple of years I wasn't there, but the year before I was on Carlos Munoz, and I remember about mid-race or so, uh, we were under a caution, and he said to me, he said, has anybody gone to the top yet, talking about on, on yeah, the restart? Yeah. Yeah. And I said, I haven't seen anybody go up there yet. That restart, Rossi, psh, around yeah. the outside, you know, yeah. and, and passing people, and three wide in the short shoot between one and two, and I, I just remember, you know, not even expecting that to happen, and immediately on the radio to him, you know, outside, outside, and he already had somebody inside of him. It's like, holy shit, we're going three wide here, man. Yeah, uh, which know, those things start, look you know? cool when they work out. But honestly, <laughs> when you look at the replay, I've watched that replay several times, and, and he was so lucky, man. Oh, so lucky so that lucky. a couple of scenarios there where obviously, you know, the driver on the inside had been respectful because it, it, it could have gone so sideways in, in so many moments. But that's what it's about. You know, there are situations where you've really got to take those, you know, opportunities and, and, and you know, bank on them. Um, you know, working out the correct way, but but uh, you've got a kind of a fifty-fifty <laughs> shot there, so it, uh, it's it's good to watch and it, and it it's, it's fantastic to see when when things like that play out and what Rossi did. That and was, he that was seems really to cool. have gotten away with it a couple times, actually, yeah. a couple two or three times. Yeah. I want to say, Which, yeah. And then as drivers, you start thinking, well, I don't know, man, it's worked for yeah, him two or three times. You know, maybe I should try it. Yeah, <laughs> and especially when drivers start watching it because that 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 spurs the others on too. So you'll probably see a lot of that this year. <laughs> Hey, let's go back just a little bit because uh, because I was reading, doing a little bit of homework on you, of course, uh, as as I should. But 
I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised to see that both of your parents ran dirt cars yeah, yeah. Uh, at some point. Tell me about that. What was that like early on in your days? So my dad, my dad kind of raced a bit of everything, at, like a club level. You know, he did rally car. He did you know uh, dirt track. They owned a speedway actually in Townsville in in Australia for a period of time. Um, actually, that's why I was I was born in Australia. All my family's from New Zealand, but they were working there for I think a four or five year period. Uh, they had me there while they were, they were living in Townsville. And then we moved back to New Zealand, and then and then Dad did uh, more dirt track racing, and then and then more of the uh, kind of uh, road, uh, you know, road course stuff. Um, kind of in the Benson Hedges days that we had in New Zealand, were kind of big for racing there in Australia and New Zealand. So, uh, he yeah, he he loved to race. That's where you know all I remember growing up was was you know going down to the garage and seeing my dad working on some kind of car, and you know I was trying to help out, and and it kind of my bug started with motorbikes you know as like a three or four year old and and then you know what triggered me into it was you know seeing my cousins race go-karts at the age of seven and uh you know kept uh kept asking for a go-kart but yeah mum so mum mum did a little bit of racing they would have like um weekends where they would do a um i don't even know what you'd call it like a um a mum and dad Oh, car yeah. kind of okay. swap and okay. she she would she would race you know i think she was one of the ones that initiated it at the speedway that they were running at the time and she would race too um i don't remember if she was very successful at the time but but uh yeah it was pretty cool that 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 they had that opportunity and and uh you know mum did get to race a little bit could so you, ima- you could you imagine that if you had a, a husband wife yeah, switch off here in, a, in the u.s <laughs> Well, you would, you would have they would be beating each other up before I mean. they ever got yeah. in the car. I'm sure. I'm pretty sure that's why it didn't really last too long. <laughs> so for a number of years, I did the show called Lucas Oil on the Edge, and one of the shows that we did was actually in uh, Northern Indiana. I want to say it was a demolition derby, but it was the, the Divorcee Demolition Derby. It was oh, in wow. Shareville, so... <laughs> Shareville, Indiana. That's a great idea, though. Kill cares. It, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was Couples that had been divorced and they put them in cars and uh, somebody threw a green flag. Yeah. That's perfect. That could, that could be we, deadly. Though. We need to bring yeah. that back. Exactly. <laughs> it could be deadly. Oh, you're not supposed to hit anybody in the driver compartment. Yeah, yeah right. There were some uh, big hits. And uh, ironically enough, it was the women that were really angry, yeah, man. They were handing yeah. some hits out. Like, sure. finally, <laughs> finally, the muscles are even here. <laughs> I'm sure the guys were laughing a lot. Though. But yeah, there's probably a lot of insurance plans taken out before that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know it's my ex, but I need to get a plan on her. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, but no, it's uh, yeah. So that's how kind of my racing career started, and 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 yeah, I guess just it was inevitable. My parents loved it. My my, I have uh, three sisters and a brother too, and uh, one of my sisters raced for a long time, and and so did my brother in go karts. They were they were a lot older. I think the next youngest was eight years, uh, you know, older than I. So um, yeah, it was just a family thing. That's so how far did. did you go up into go karts, and then where? Then where? So I skipped out of go karts, uh, kind of at thirteen. Um, just just got into junior category and then and ran that for maybe a year, year and a half, and then started in Formula Vs. So I think at that point I was the youngest. I think it was a, a Guinness World Record at the time was when I was racing uh, open wheel at the age of thirteen. It's probably been beat now, uh, just with the age of some of these young kids. Uh, but there was there was a lot of controversy in the fact that we kind of got through a loophole in the licensing because most countries you have to have a road bearing license before you can go for a racing license. But there was like a small um you know uh one liner that you know if you if you could get speci- a special dispensation by going and somebody watching you on track and and that's what I did which that was a funny story I kind of went to Pukekohe which is one of our bigger tracks in New Zealand and I had to go around it was in a Suzuki Swift I don't know if you know it's like a little 1200 <laughs> road car white thing 
and I uh, had to go around with a driver for, for Regan Morgan uh, was, was the guy and um, did a few laps and then we came around the fastest corner. I don't know if you've been there. It's like flat out. Uh, and that coat was probably only 100 miles an hour because it was so slow. But there was a family of ducks that were walking across the track oh, no. and I swerved to miss them. Spun the car, went in, ended up in the grass and just stopped before the bank. And all I remember was that the driver sitting in the, or Regan sitting in, in the passenger seat saying, just hit the ducks next time, please. <laughs> please do not swerve to avoid the ducks. By the way, no ducks were harmed in yes. this show. And no, apparently they, at, at yeah. that racetrack, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was, that was the end of my practice day there. But uh, So let's let's go along in that same time frame because you're 13 years old. Let's, let's hear about the Nissan story because apparently you had a, a pad strapped to your back so you could reach the pedals yeah so the that it was kind of a within like two months i had my first formula v race and ran really well um i think i came like third or something in my first race or fifth and then then was passing another one on in the second race of that weekend we actually crashed in that same corner i, I missed the ducks <laughs> and i uh, broke the car pretty bad but then uh yeah i think three or four races into my formula v season um dad thought it would be a good idea to to do some endurance racing and it was called the nissan Sentra cup i think at that time which were you know all one make cars there was probably 35 or 40 of these things and it was classic racing it was like the old british touring cars like the mazda mx5 cup exactly <laughs> which is the best racing on any weekend man that we have we sit in our truck watching that race the whole time and it's it's so cool but yeah so coming around uh i got past that corner this time where i where i missed the ducks and uh, i was like lap um three so we shared the car and the the um i was 13 the regular guy was like 40 40 40 years old or whatever and uh, he thought it would be a good idea since we were renting the car that i start the race too which we should have seen a mile off and uh yeah i got spun uh exiting onto the back straight and just barrel rolled this thing uh and destroyed it but the worst part was you know for the driver change to make it fast was you know because i was shorter at the time uh i had this (laughs) big pink floral cushion 13 you were shorter it wasn't just a cushion man it was this big pink floral thing taped to my backside oh so it was pink Pink. and i get out and i'm just bawling my eyes out man and and uh it made like the front page of our biggest newspaper in new zealand and and yeah it was it was that was it no more 13 year olds not a a good look man there is video yeah yeah i think but the video is the one i've seen is pretty grainy you can't actually see me crying which is good these guys over here carl and aaron they'll find it there's video though those guys will find thank, it. Thank God there wasn't HD technology exactly. then, you know. Exactly. They just saw the flowers on the auto and everything. So yeah. So it was a pretty interesting start to my racing career with uh, lots of ups and downs. But they, the, the the year worked out fantastic. I won the championship in Formula V first year in, in and uh, yeah, it was cool. That was cool. So how do you transition here? Uh, so then we went to Formula Ford. There was Class One, Class Two. Class Two was the older cars. Like I think we we ended up buying like a 1986 Van Diemen or something. I can't even. Oh no, it was a Swift. And then uh, we won that year in Class Two. Moved up to Class One. Uh, won that championship that year, and then moved to Australia. Uh, Formula Holden, which is Formula 3000 cars, um, Chevy with yeah a GM engine. <laughs> And uh, finished Rookie of the Year in the first year, won the, the Australian Drivers' Championship this, the following year, and, and then uh, made the jump to America. But um, we were kind of on the way to Europe uh, to start testing a Formula 3. And, and um, at that point, Kenny Smith, who was, was helping me, still racing. He's 70, God knows how many years old now. Like uh, He's still do, doing the New Zealand Grand Prix down there. Um, he knew Vern Schupen and Stefan Johansson. They had an Indy Lights team. 
And uh, on the way to, to Europe, we kind of stopped off in Sebring, did a two-day test. First day was with PacWest Racing, and then uh, second day was with, with Johansson. We ended up being the quickest out of the open test, and they did a deal that we couldn't refuse, and, and I never made it to uh, Europe. So, it was so a quick, not, not only was it the quickest, but it was a lap record, by the way. Just Yeah, it was a good test. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. it worked out. Out of, out. out of the box. Life. Yeah, no, it was good. It was fun. So what, you were two years at Indy Lights? Is that what I... Uh, yes, yeah, so I did one year with with, uh, with Stefan Johansson and Vern's team. Um, and I think we were, I don't know, Rookie of the Year, maybe that year. We had one win, I think, in Chicago, and then and then went on to uh, PacWest. Um, and then I think we won half the races that year and won the championship. And so how many? So how many Indy Lights were there then? Do you remember? About thirty. Yeah, twenty-eight or thirty. It was big fields. Do you really think Roger fields. will get that back? I don't know. It's it's a weird dynamic now, right? Because it's so split. You know, I think the whole Mazda Road to Indy, or I don't even know if it's still called that, is, is it kind needs of, to be, but it's not. It's kind of fragmented, you yeah. know. And and because IndyCar don't really have it under their you know uh, arms anymore, that it, it it kind of, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. It's kind of expensive too, you know. From some of the numbers that I was hearing, you know, it's it's, yeah, it's it is pricey. It isn't. 1.5, yeah, but which when I did Indy Lights, it was kind of you know for for the guys bringing the money. You know, it seemed like every team had a guy that brought brought the money, and then a guy that didn't bring as much money, and and they were still asking somewhere between you know nine hundred and one three. So you know, it, the, it hasn't really changed that much. Right. Um, it's just that the IndyCar series has got so much cheaper. You know, gone are the days where it was you know twenty five thirty million per car. You know, if you can scrape together two three million dollars now, you can get a drive. You know, with all the the factors of you yeah. know the leader circle money and everything that gets tipped in. You know, it it, it it's achievable. So that I think is where. They lose out a lot. You know, you've got people that are kind of skipping Indy Lights because, you know, if they can raise a little bit more money, they can go straight to IndyCar. You know, and that's the thing that we were talking about the other day when Robin was here and I think Davey and KO and all of us were talking about. But, you know, it's, you know, you think about all these, the guys that came up, you have AJ, you have Mario, all these guys that came through USAC, raced dirt, did all the different stuff like that, you know, and, and came up through the progression yeah, it's different now. It's way different. It'll never be the same again. But the problem is, is you have somebody like, as again, Cody Swanson, probably the most deserving guy to try to get an opportunity, right? The most deserving since Brian Clawson would be my my uh, yeah. my feelings of it. And, uh, you know, so we're working on trying to get Cody something in, uh, you know, the Indy Lights deal. And, you know, it's probably a hundred and fifty grand. Just to yeah. run the 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 uh, you know the Freedom One Hundred, yeah. But you know that hundred and fifty grand could turn into a career. It's kind of exactly what you just said about you know Stefan Johansson's deal and in that. Yeah, I think if you look at my path, it was you couldn't write a book and have have paid that as well. You know, I was very lucky with some of the opportunities that opened up. We'd had a great group of investors. We were one of the first to kind of do the investment program. Um, we had 14 New Zealand investors that kind of raised the money for, for me to kind of live and pay for the racing career, uh, which, you know, then, you know, had to pay back, you know, over, over a period of time as well. So, you know, it seems like that thing or that function is a little more common too, but it's still hard, man. It's, it's harder now. The business model has changed so much, and it seems like there's such an influx of rich, wealthy families that are, that are just piling in the money, and it's kind of a lot of the talent's getting lost. Yeah, and that, and yeah exactly. Well, I was just going to say the timing of it, I think, is what you were talking about there or alluding to uh, is so critical, and uh, a great example of that would be Connor Daly and Joseph Newgarden. Those two kids came up through the ranks side by side, uh, up up into Andy Lights here, and then Connor decided to go to Europe. 
uh, Joseph sticks with it, wins the championship, and he spent some time in Europe as well. Um, and things didn't pan out as well for, for Connor, just timing-wise. Certainly not lack of talent. Uh, both of them you know, were very, very good you know, coming up through the ranks. And Joseph, uh, despite having a team owner that passed away, managed to hang on, comes back over here. The timing of Sarah Fisher's operation uh, becoming lucrative with, with money and wanting a, a young American driver, he falls right in place. And then it moves forward to Carpenter, and then it obviously de- delivers here in the last couple of years to, uh, to Penske. But then you look at Connor, and Connor's still scrapping as hard as he knows how to, you know, to, to stay in the hunt. And it's just funny how close it can be and, and go different directions. Yeah, and... and, and- you know, even Mike, just because f- I know my career, you know, any any sort of sway in the timing line there could have shifted it big time. You know, even the Pack West, you know, well, I think Tony Renner and I were the only people that ever got paid in Pack in, in Indy Lights <laughs> history. I think we made, God, like 150 grand was the base, and we got a load of prize money. Like it was, it was insane that we were getting paid to do Indy Lights. <laughs> you know, which which was, you know, I'd never heard of it because when when we went to try and do the deal. They're like, oh, we'll just put you on the same deal as Tony Renner. And then we saw the contract. We're like, yeah, sure, we'll definitely take that. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the the Blundell opening and, you know, the, the that year later. But then even mine f- with Toyota's backing and then, you know, shifting me over to Ganassi when, you know, that all went uh, imploded at, at uh, PacWest and they went bankrupt. You know, it was just those shifts, you know, could have not happened at any point. You know, from PacWest, I could have been lost and left in the wind, you know. So it's it's – I totally get it. You know, I totally get – um, you know Connor's path and and you know Joseph's path. Yes, they're they're both very talented and they've they've won a lot of races and and uh, you know it's good to see. I think Connor get this opportunity this year yeah, and, and uh, you know hopefully hopefully it plays well. You know the Indy Car deal and everything that's going on with that. I mean I, I'm excited to see where it goes, but I'm also to, excited to see if we can't make it go a better direction as well. You know with things that happen with you. You brought up Toyota. Of course, we're very very close with the Toyota family. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I keep saying, so when are you guys coming back? Yeah. And they're like, quit talking about it. And I'm like, you know, Roger's going to get you back. So when are you guys coming back? Yeah. So. Man- manufacturers are important. You know, I think even yeah. if you look at the, the driver programs they have in Cup, you know, and, and it's it's just the feeder that they use, you know, is you need, you need unfortunately, the manufacturers. And, and really, IndyCar's missing that big time right now. I think with the two, we're very lucky to have, you know, such great brands. But yeah. They really need a third or even better would be a fourth, you know. Yeah. Um, that's what I was thinking whenever you said it's so fragmented with Indy Lights. That's where the big teams need to have that manufacturer support to have that Indy Lights program to keep that, that driver feed coming up through there. Yeah, it's hard. I think when you look at the history of IndyCar racing and Indy Lights, though, there was never really – none of the big teams really had Indy Lights programs. You know, it was kind of they just it, – it, it worked because the, the steps were, were – at that time when you were going to IndyCar, you know, there was enough of a jump that it, that it became such an ideal zone to go to Indy Lights. And if you did well, then you were going to get picked up and then you were immediately paid. You know, the problem now is the gap is so small. You know, they just end up trying to dive straight into IndyCar and you, you, you're kind of really just getting the people that have the funds opposed to the talent, you know, which is, which is you know, a bit of a struggle. So it's, you know, I think, you know who was the there? There's been a couple just of recent, you know, with VK and a few of those that are that are fighting through it, you know, and and doing well. Uh, Oliver Askew and and Pado, you know, I think with with what McLaren's done, you know, you maybe need that shift with some of these teams that are kind of going to just go with that younger generation and and try it out. Yeah, and I, I mean, and that's what I, you know, the whole Indy Lights thing. I mean, that was the thing that I was talking about. It was like, 
now it's like a lot of independence. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's somebody that still has the passion to race, but it's kind of what they can afford to do. Yeah. You know, there's four or five people that own one car. They may run three or four races, and you know it makes it uh, it makes it difficult to keep it a full time deal. But that that's interesting when you were in it, what they had, and I mean I've watched it over the years because you know we you know, when we were heavily involved in sponsorship of Silver Crown cars, well, Silver Crown would run with IndyCar, you yeah. know, or would run with Indy Lights, uh, you know, and, and Indy Lights would run with trucks, or we would be there with Silver Crown trucks and Indy Lights. And, you know, uh, I, I got to tell you, I mean, it's it's always uh, it's always interesting to watch, and it, but, you know, now you've got You've got Indy Lights, but you know you've got the 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 Mazda this and that. And I mean, so it's, it's kind too many of categories that are yeah. so close together; they're kind of falling on top of each other. But then you know, kind of going to the oval racing, man. Like it's it's a tough sell when when IndyCar goes. Like I remember Pocono, we'd be the only thing on track. So when we're down for three or four hours, like there's nothing to watch. You know, I remember going. When I first started, you know, in, in Indy Lights, there would, you know, there'd be several categories running throughout the day to to keep people, you know, sort of interested. And, and you know, Texas always do a good job of that with the trucks and the Indy car. And at least there's action always kind of happening. You know, they kind of really got to get rid of these lulls that we have, all these giant lulls. Um, that's that's why we're doing this show, by yeah. the way. Yeah. But so we can fill in the lulls. We can fill in the lulls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're, we're in. I mean, that that would be great. That would be great for sure. How exciting is it to be with one team for 19 years uh most of the time it's exciting <laughs> you know it's like a marriage you know it's it's up and down but no honestly it's it's um chip and i i think have you know just personalities that don't you know there's no conflict um you know i've seen uh a few teammates throughout throughout my years and and you know you you definitely see straight away the personalities that are that are gonna you know sort of inflict some pain i think with with chip you know, fairly early on. Um, but no, it's, it's been great. You know, I think it's, there's very few people that have been able to, you know, achieve, you know, this, this, uh, length, you know, I think, you know, if you look at team driver kind of combination, Elio is probably the, the longest lasting, I think he had a couple of years on me. Um, you know, he's not doing IndyCar full time, but, but, um, no, it's, you know, for me, it's been, uh, it was a game changer. Um, you know, the first meeting I remember have with, having with Chip was, was daunting as hell coming from PacWest, you know, and, and it didn't, in my opinion, it didn't go very well. I remember walking out and talking to Stefan. I'm like, man, that's that was sucked. That was really bad. <laughs> and because you know he he had all the cards, right? So he's like, I earned more in my Indy Light season than driving for for uh, for Chip uh, in the first year. But but um, you know, I think that's that's what um, you need sometimes, and 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 it's not going to be uh, easily achieved. But you know, I, I really respect uh, Chip. You know, I think him and. My wife Emma are probably the two most competitive people I've ever met, you know, and and uh, he never he never lifts, man. He, he never, you know, each time he's he's pushing for more, and and you know, any situation he always says, you know, if is there anything anybody needs? Does anybody need anything? You know, whatever it is, we'll figure out how to pay for it, and 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 he just keeps it rolling, and and uh, you know, a lot of respect for that because I've been with a lot of teams in my junior career where it was was not about you know finding speed; it was about you know dealing or making the product look better opposed to to being fast and you know i think when you look at chip's semi-short career the guys achieved crazy numbers and and across the board you know and and many different things so yeah i don't know i feel very lucky to be with this team i love being with this team it's it's family and hopefully it continues for a while i believe this to be true but uh only team owner to win the indy 500 daytona 500 brickyard 400 rolex 24 at daytona uh and of course lamar 
and the 12 hours of Sebring. I mean, six, six massively large, very difficult races to win, and he's yeah. managed to to win them it's all. It's nuts. It's not quite an achievement, yeah, man. It is. It's huge, and he you know he keeps knocking them out, man. So it's it's good to be part of it. He's I met aggressive. I met Chip. The first time I met Chip was at Bill Simpson's suite. Yeah. And of course, Bill's in there running, running the show, and Chip's just sitting there, just listening to him, yeah. <laughs> really, really yeah. not saying much. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, nice guy. I mean, yeah. it, it's a it, lucky guy to work for somebody like that as long as you have. So yeah, he's he's demanding, and you know, he uh, he has his quirks, like everybody does, and and like I do, you know. But 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 uh, deep down, you know, I think you know, Chip's changed a lot from when I first met him. You know, he was, he was, he could be pretty mean, you know, and, and I've been in some meetings where I, you know, I've, I've felt very small with him and, uh, you know, walked out and, and thinking that's probably, you know, my last year, but, you know, he's got a big heart. Um, you know, I think he, he values a lot of things that, that people necessarily don't see that out of him. And, and, uh, yeah, you know, I think when the biggest thing, like when I've been part of, you know, the, the, the Dan Weldon situations or Justin Wilson's or anything, he's the first guy, man, in there trying to help and, and, uh, and help in a big way, you know, whether it's the family side of things or, or down the road trying to, you know, make sure everybody's okay. So it's, it's um, you know, he's, he's been a big part of my career and, and a big part of a lot of others. I see a lot of that. Um, I, I call it passion. I, I, know, I know you said in that moment he was mean, but if you take a look at his personality, and I don't know him personally, but just people like him, uh, he's just, it, there's a lot of passion there. And so, Everything. If he's angry and he's being mean right now, he's going to be the meanest of mean. And if he's loving right now, he's he's the lovingest of loving. And yeah. if he's racing right now, he's the most competitive guy. It's it's just big personality, big passion. And when he's going, man, he's on the gas. And he, whatever direction it is, he's going. Yeah. Most of the time, it's a fun ride, man. It's a fun <laughs> ride, right? <laughs> a couple of bumps along the way, and you 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 get to spend a lot of time with him too. I mean, I know it. you're in and out and, oh, yeah. and working with him. And yeah. You're sitting over there. You can't just not say anything the whole time. Uh, so I'm we'll aim like, a couple uh, at you. This is pretty cool just to be here. To be honest, the, with the you. track so. the track's clear right now, so he's yeah yeah <laughs> Scott's not on track. Clear all round. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's just super cool to see that. Um, that bond between driver and team owner, because so many guys bounce around, and I know it's all money generated, but it's so difficult to to have that success. And certainly, he's very happy with you. He doesn't want to see you go away, you know, with what you've delivered to that team. And it's a difficult thing to do, you know. And uh, going back to what we were talking about before, the fans want to see stuff. I think the fans, you know, they they love people like you because you didn't come from big wealth. And this has always been a rich man's game. We might as well just hit it on the head, you know. It's never been something, you know, maybe if you go back to the midget days and in the 30s, 40s, and 50s when those guys were still building stuff in their own garage, it could be competitive. But for the most part, it still ended up as the guy with the most money could do the most stuff. And and uh, to have somebody come up, even if it was a timing thing that did not come from wealth and makes it to the top, people, people love that, man. They want to just know that there's a chance. Yeah, it's definitely... Um you know, I think that that you know a lot of people do forget that and brush over it. I think in some scenarios, and 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 you know, I personally respect you know the the people that do achieve it that way a little bit more. But but uh, you know, it is hard because you know even through the junior categories, you know, having the resources makes a big difference. You know, and and you see that in in karting to this day. Like I don't know if you've been to a car track recently. It's oh incredible God, the amount of motorhomes and trucks oh, exactly. and trailers. Yeah. The amount of money that people are spending is is uh, is crazy. You know, there was no chance in in my junior no. category that I could have ever, even you know, my parents. There's no way they could have achieved that. You know, we were rocking up with an open trailer, and you know, and, and that was it. But but uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's good to see. I think a lot of people that still have the passion for the sport. It's just that it's it's changed a little bit right now. 
Yeah, 2004, no, uh, uh, 2006, we were running national tour, running Stars of Carding and Manufacturer's Cup uh, with WKA with Robert, and we spent about $50,000 on carding that year. That was 2006. I want to say it was 2012, 13, 14, somewhere in there. We were talking talking to a carding family, and that was a hundred grand. Yeah, you know, least. and I'm sure it's north of a hundred grand now. Yeah, I don't know. Like for me though, is it was all about that camping. Like that's what we did. You know, we couldn't afford the motels or hotels. You know, we'd pack a tent and you know we'd sleep. That was the kind of cool thing about you know the New Zealand series. They were always in the summer, um, and you would you know it'd be just like a big touring carnival for for eight to ten weeks you know you'd kind of go from you know school holidays always and and you'd go from round to round to round you know sleeping in a tent and it was fun man those are the best days of my lives was you know living at the track and and uh you know waking up and you know sort of cooking some bacon and eggs and and get on the track and race and then do it the next day too you know so it uh i don't know new zealand was a lot of fun and and i think the series you know right now that i think uh toyota series down there is doing really well just because of that fact too and it's off season a lot of europeans still going down there uh, but yeah, those were probably the best memories I've had of, of my racing career. So uh, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to jump into this too hard. I'll let you take it as far as you want to go. But uh, rumor has it that your dad joined the Blue Man Crew at one point and was uh, was not very happy about it. Can Can you tell us any of that story? <laughs> yeah, I could I could tell you about that story. Um, that was at Miller Motorsports Park, and and um, I don't know if you were around then. Maybe mm, uh, so. it was during um, uh, IMSA. Yeah, and uh, I was I think the the second or third driver on one of the cars for that weekend. It was in between IndyCar season. It was an off week for us, and then we had to. It was weird though. We tested like on a Tuesday at the track, and then we had like Wednesday, Thursday off, and then uh, you know back on track on Friday and for the race weekend. And uh, so we were doing nothing, and then you know uh, someone's like, "Hey, we've got some moonshine in one of the motorhomes," and you know. There's nothing to do out there. So we're like, okay, let's start drinking some moonshine. Salt Lake, Salt Lake City. Yeah, that was and, way at Tuella. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. a dry which is a dry county too. Right. And uh, so then everybody's probably had a few too many. And then uh, my dad, I see, we see him walking over to a Portaloo or Porta John or whatever it's called. And, and uh, I was with another person and they thought it would be quite a funny idea to rock it. So we rocked it. And it was actually sitting on, on uh, like a curb. So it was on top of the curb. So actually, when we rocked it, I feel like I wasn't the one that rocked it that much. <laughs> but as it turned out, this thing this thing rocked all the way until it tipped over, and and of course it tipped door down, right? So oh, no. <laughs> all I remember is like I'm trying to lift this thing off him, and then and then I see him; he's just covered. He's blue. He looks like a Smurf. And then I see this like bright orange turd sitting right on his chest and, uh, and he's trying to hit me. So I'm like, I put it down again and I, I, I run off. And, uh, so yeah, long story short, it was, um, it was a bad day for my dad. He, he was not real happy about that. Um, as you can imagine. And actually that weekend got worse. I think he then got in a car accident in my rental car, which wasn't in his name wrote the thing off and of course somebody had to pay for that too. the weekend so was, literally turned to crap yeah for, <laughs> for a weekend that was helping chip out not driving for any money it cost me a lot of money <laughs> and my dad still hasn't let that one go your where, dad's where, dignity where, on the way there yeah, right? i'm just glad there wasn't many people there that 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 well i don't think there's anybody there that, that witnessed it but uh he he definitely remembers i remember going to the hotel that night and apologizing and he was still for days he was still a tinge of blue i don't know how hard it is to to watch 
that stuff off, but uh, I feel extremely bad for that. For Racetrack sure. memories, oh, man. man. Oh, man. It's, yeah. Yeah. I've tried to let that one go, but that one seems to keep popping up. So you've had a day and a half in the car. You've actually had a little more time than that with the windscreen, right? Didn't you test a little bit last year with the windscreen? A little bit, yeah. We did uh, earlier on, I think, with the different version, which was the, mm. just just the screen portion. Uh, and then it changed, I think, later in the year, which I did uh, Indianapolis and then also Richmond, Richmond yeah. um, which there were four tests. I think there was Indy, Richmond, and two Sebrings or something yes. like that. Oh, no, there was an the Alabama. A barber, water, so. yeah. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty good, man. I think you know the the whole uh, you know conditioning from from PPG and and Red Bull Technologies. I think that what everybody knew and then put together, I think was a was a huge jump. But I think the way that uh, you know Red Bull have have um, you know been through this process on the F one side for for a little while, so they had um, they had most of it developed already. So it was uh, it was pretty seamless. And and you know I think through the Coda test, which was really only about a five or six hour test day, and then. Sebring, obviously, no issues. Uh, Coda had some rain, so it was good to to finally test the screen to see what was actually going to happen. But um, I think there's still that rare situation like we had at uh, Detroit Race 1 this year uh, where it rained. It started as a wet race and went dry. And because it's a concrete circuit, you know, it has that kind of concrete dust to it. Um, And when I actually crashed in that race, but when when you uh, were taking the tear off each time, you would kind of get the spray it would be a milky white and you, you were just peeling through tear off. So that's kind of the only scenario I think that may be an issue because you can really only pit and take a tear off off. But if it happens every kind of lap or two, then then I don't know what you're going to do. So there, there is like a, a drop dead situation. I think that the, 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 the glass portion can come out and just have the halo, which on a street course I think is, is you know sufficient enough for sure. Um, yeah. Is there a low pressure area when it comes up over the windscreen where – that dirt and dust can collect on the inside of of that? Does that distort vision? Yeah, uh, no. So from the inside, not at all. You know, the first few lenses that we had did have some distortion in them, and it was kind of, for whatever reason, it was always kind of the low left side, which was where you needed it for the ovals, and that was a bit strange, but they said it was just kind of, a, you know, production kind of issue that they'd had, and, and after that, there's there's been no scenario over that. I think... The first street course will be a little tough. I know when I first jumped in at the Speedway uh, at Indianapolis, the kind of just your your visual uh, or peripheral perception of how close you were to the wall because you're looking through another lens, you know. I wear contacts, I have a visor, you have tear-offs, then you have another lens, then you have tear-offs. There's a lot of dimensions you're kind of looking through. So that was a little, uh, uh, probably the first four or five laps, you know, I think kind of just figuring out how close you were to the wall which you know on a street course i think could be interesting i think especially for the first five laps you know maybe the first session but um what they've done and and the cooling was an issue to start with too because you know when you're doing 200 miles an hour the the airflow is pretty good but when you start to enclose that that was a big issue so they've opened up a lot of uh front nose area and then also inside by the shock uh shock uh, area or panel on the front now you know uh, pushes air into the into the cockpit so there's a lot of cooling and and uh, even now we're running a like a helmet pumper so there's a um deflector on the outside of the car that runs a tube to the helmet too now which gives us more air as well so it's uh they've definitely covered all the bases Wow, well, that's great stuff for sure. We'll see how uh, see how everything pans out and a few changes there. It's I, w- I was surprised. To f- I was surprised. Spotters to find more out. important, Ken. 
Will it? Yeah. Yes. Does yeah. that yeah. mean our, our does our rates go up? <laughs> That's right. Robbie's going to get paid more this year. <laughs> I heard they got heads up display and they don't need you anymore. Well, <laughs> 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 camera. in the GT car, they had that too, and I thought we were going to be. What's the point of having us? You know, but then there was a lot of drivers that didn't. You know, on our car for sure didn't. You didn't really yeah. use those that much. I don't know if you did much in the in the GT. Those were good for so those have radars on them too. Yeah. The ones in the GT cars, so it, it gives you a good uh, perception of how fast the car is coming from behind. So it, it could help you at night a lot, you know, to yeah. know if you're running and racing another GT car or if it was a prototype coming through, um, just because it would have speed arrows that would come up on the on the uh, picture, you know, with with it looking back on the other cars, but, which was handy. But the one on the Cadillac is kind of pointless. Like, it's right in front of the rear wing, so all you get is a really good view of the rear wing. Yeah, Sebastian didn't see. like it. <laughs> you can't see anything else behind it. The it's one like the, ca- yeah. the camera needs to be on the wing. I don't Sebastian know. said the same thing. He said yeah. he didn't even bother. And it's, so like, way up here. Yeah, so it's up to be driving, to look out and you know. up. Ours, our drivers, I was telling Robbie earlier this morning, we had, we had breakfast together, and at nighttime, it's just blown out. You know, when the headlights are coming up, the rearview camera, it just blows the whole yeah. screen out. So they, they don't even want to look at it, almost like turn it off because it's so bright to their the eyes. The technology is pretty pretty trick now, though. Like the, the stuff we use at Lamar for the GT program was insane. And especially when, you you know, the prototypes there are so much faster than the GTs. Like it was, it was it created a lot less accidents, man, just because you knew somebody was coming. And, and uh, they're a huge safety How device. far back does a radar pick somebody up? It's quite a ways. I don't know the actual, but you you would know for at least five seconds how oh, wow. fast this thing was coming, and and you know you you could clearly depict if it was a product, you know, P one car or a P two car or a GT car. Like it, 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 they're good, man. Really good. That's amazing yeah. for sure. I knew the Corvettes. Uh, they had some they wicked really cameras nice in, yeah. inside theirs for a number of years now, and um, obviously you being in the in the in the P cars, so much you know most of your stuff is out of the windshield. But I was blown away at how close the GTLMs. And the GT cars were this year. I mean, the the speedway speed was almost identical. I mean, they could get into the turns harder. You know, the brake zone, they were better. And then coming off the turn, they were a little better. But sheer speed, there was not much difference. Yeah, it kind of it kind of changes each year, I think, with the difference between the categories, for sure. Are you talking about Daytona, at least? Yeah, or, Daytona yeah, yeah. You know, it's, um, the GT category is always the best race i think like it's it's flat out man and like you know you can rub on each other a little bit too the prototypes are still kind of you know a bit delicate but uh the gt had a lot of it was weird you know i ran i think 11 years in prototype and then did four years of the four gt program and then this year coming back into the prototype it was it was actually quite nice to only look forward you know like <laughs> most 90 percent of the lap previously you were you know looking in the mirrors because the prototype cars would just take you out man they'd waste you you know oh, yeah. so it uh it was um yeah but it's part of it. Yeah, no, super cool of you to, to take the time out. We know you're a busy guy and a million people no, no. W- want, a, want a slice of it. So thank thank you very much. And, man, we wish you the best of luck this year. And I know uh, you can beat them going fast when they give you a fast car, but you've we'll got the man. ability to beat them in a slow car between you and Mike Hall and yeah. your ability to save fuel and his ability to strategize is just unparalleled, man. Incredible yeah, I team. It. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. It was a real pleasure. I'll be back for sure. I love it. Awesome. Very Thanks. cool. Spread the word, man. And, Robbie, can't thank you enough, pal. Thank I you. Know, uh, Appreciate it. You're a big part of making this happen as well, Absolutely. so thanks a lot, man. Yeah. No worries. So there you go, guys. Another edition of The Skinning. Scott Dixon, Robbie Fast here in the house. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching this episode of The Skinny. Be sure to check out all the latest sun and optical eyewear at fatheads.com. Special thanks to our sponsorship partners at Elliott's Custom Trailers and Carts.
This has been a production of Fathead Studios. Please remember to subscribe.